Turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, we'll be reading verses 18 through 29. We're looking at the bitter fruit of Noah's sin. Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 29. Give attention now to the reading of God's word. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. And then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that in your wisdom you have ordained that it's through the preaching of the word that eternal life is manifest to us. We pray that you would pour out your spirit to anoint us, that we might hear your word rightly, and we might respond to it in saving faith according to the various parts of your word. And in all these things we ask that you would show us Christ, that we might rest upon him for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to ask the little children in here a question. If you sow apple seeds, what kind of tree will you get? You'll get an apple tree. If you sow corn, what kind of crop will you harvest? Corn, that's right. If you sow wheat, what kind of field will it produce? It will produce a wheat field. We understand this principle in agriculture that whatever we sow, that also shall we reap. If you sow wheat, you will reap wheat. But the same principle applies in our lives as Christians. The same principle applies in our spiritual lives That whatever we sow, we also shall reap. This is what Paul said at the end of Galatians. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. 
This passage is a picture of this principle at work. The story of Noah and his drunkenness and his son's response to that drunkenness is an illustration of the principle that Paul is talking about. Whatever you sow, that's what you will reap. And what we see here, Noah sows to his flesh and reaps shame. His sons, in response to the sin of their father, sow and reap accordingly, whether to the flesh unto corruption or to the spirit unto eternal life. The basic principle and message of this passage is whatsoever we sow, that is what we will reap. Now, as we begin to look at this passage, we need to understand the preface and the context in which Moses is putting us. Verses 18 and 19, we learn that this passage is really about the fifth commandment. The passage is all about the fifth commandment and the various duties that fathers owe to their sons and that sons owe to their father. You can see this in verse 18, the way that it's opened up. Now, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. In fact, throughout this episode, Ham is always described as the father of Canaan. Moses is making a point to describe Ham and his son. Verse 19, we get further information about this. These were the three sons of Noah from whom the whole earth was populated. Now in Hebrew, this word populated can mean scattered or distributed. The word actually is a picture of what a farmer does when he sows seed. When the sower goes out to sow, what does he do? He grabs his seed and scatters it. That's what this word means. And so from these three sons, you can say it this way, the entire earth was sown. From these three sons of Noah, the entire earth was populated. Now I mentioned this is dealing with the fifth commandment. This picture of sowing and reaping, of fathers and their sons... This relationship is often depicted with agriculture in the scriptures. You remember the blessing of Psalm 128, verse 3. Your children shall be like plants around your table. Your faithfulness as a father will produce a crop of children. Also in Psalm 144, 12, we see this same imagery used. To describe the relationship of fathers to sons. The psalmist is praying, he says, Deliver us that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, and that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in the palace. You see it also in particular in John 15. You remember the passage of John 15? Christ says, 
I am the vine. You are the branches. And God the Father prunes you so that you'll produce fruit. Now, we've all, we've all heard that passage before. We all are familiar with the idea of a vine and pruning it so that it generates more fruit. But understand that the God who's doing the pruning is God your Father. This puts it in the realm of the fifth commandment. Your Father is the one pruning you on the vine of Christ. And He's doing this so as to produce fruit. Well, as I mentioned, this passage deals with the fifth commandment. And it deals with the principle of sowing and reaping. But in order to understand the fifth commandment and what it really is about, we need to listen to what the larger catechism tells us. And this will set the context for how we interpret the rest of the passage. Westminster Larger Catechism 126, if you're taking notes, uh, Westminster Larger Catechism on the fifth commandment is brilliant. I encourage you to go look at it. Questions 123 through 133. But this is 126. What is the general scope of the fifth commandment? In other words, what's the goal of the fifth commandment? What is it teaching us? The general scope of the fifth commandment is the performance of those duties which we mutually owe in our several relations as inferiors, superiors, and equals. And so even though the words of the fifth commandment are, honor your father and mother, that's what the words say in Exodus 20, the purpose of the fifth commandment is to teach us how to relate to one another as a superior, as an inferior, or as an equal. All of that is included. All human relationships carry with them certain responsibilities. If you're a father, you have certain responsibilities towards your sons. If you're a daughter, you have certain responsibilities towards your mother. If you are a peer, you have certain responsibilities with your peers. That's what the fifth commandment deals with. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage. Now, some of you may not be familiar with the language of superior, inferior, and equal. That kind of language is very foreign to the modern world. Because the modern world is an egalitarian world. The modern world has leveled everybody out to being on the same plane and saying that everybody is at the same station in life. We're all just equals. Nobody is superior to anybody else. That's what the modern world tells us. It also tells us that nobody is inferior to anybody else. But we need to understand that the Bible and creation teach us that there are superiors and inferiors. There are people who are in positions of authority over you. There are people that are in positions of uh, submission to you. There are people that are your equals that you do not have authority over and they don't have authority over you. There are superiors and inferiors in God's creation. The scriptures speak about this, and this is why the fifth commandment starts with the very first relationship. 
parents and children. You will always be inferior to your parents. Your parents will always be a superior to you. No matter how old you get, you will never outstrip your parents in age. They will always be superior to you. And you will always be in a position of inferiority to your parents. The fifth commandment teaches us a principle of hierarchy. Hierarchy, superior and inferior and equal, is part of the way God has made things. God has created the world in this way. The fifth commandment echoes that. We need to be reminded of this. But we also need to be reminded of the importance of hierarchy for the good of society. Look around you. Look around you in the West today. Society is coming apart at the seams in most Western nations. And the reason is because we've forgotten hierarchy. We have forgotten the fifth commandment. Most people in the West think that they have the right to dishonor their superiors because they're no better than me. We're all equals, aren't we? That's the modern West. And you see society coming apart at the seams because we've forgotten the fifth commandment. So this passage is going to show us and teach us about the fifth commandment and about sowing and reaping in relation to the fifth commandment. Well, in verses 20 through 21, we see Noah's harvest. The, it says that Noah began to be a farmer. He planted a vineyard. Then when he drank of the wine, he was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Now, at one level, you can understand Noah's situation. He has been for an entire year on the ark with all the animals of creation and his whole family in the midst of the worst storm you can ever imagine. And he's just now come out of the ark. And you can't blame a guy that wants a drink after that. We know that wine is not evil in and of itself. It's given to make man's heart merry. And so Noah plants a vineyard and makes wine. But he goes too far. He gets drunk on his wine. And then as verse 21 says... He became uncovered in his tent. You'll see two different ways to interpret this. One, it's that Noah wasn't really guilty of anything because we know wine is not evil, so it's not wrong to drink wine. And some will say Noah's not guilty of anything here. Others will say, well, Noah is guilty and he shouldn't have been drinking wine at all. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is Noah's drunkenness leads him to shameful activity. His sin is getting so filled with wine that he shames himself. He brings shame upon himself by being, basically, pass out drunk in his tent. He's wasted, as they say. He's had too much. And he brings shame on himself. The real sin of Noah here, and this is a sin, Noah is guilty of a sin. The real sin of Noah in this episode is that he's committed the sin of a superior. He is in the superior position. He's the father, 
and he's committed a sin of a superior. Well, what would that sin be? Westminster Larger Catechism 129. Superiors are to, by a grave, wise, holy, and exemplary carriage, meaning manner of life, procure, to procure glory to God and honor to themselves, and so to preserve that authority which God has put upon them. What are the sins of superiors? The sins of superiors are any way dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior. In other words, what Noah is guilty of here is not simply drunkenness, and it's not simply being unclean in his tent, whatever that means, we don't really need to know. His sin really is that as the father of humanity, he has brought shame on himself by drinking too much. He's, a, he's sinning against the fifth commandment. This is a sin of a superior. What the fifth commandment is getting at, and what a superior is to do within the fifth commandment, is to maintain his official authority, his authority of office, the authority of his position through an appropriate authority of character. There's two types of authority. Judicial authority and moral authority. Judicial authority is the authority that goes with somebody's office. A police officer has the right to arrest you. He has judicial authority to do that because he's in that office. Moral authority is the authority that comes with godly character. It's the authority that comes from somebody who lives uprightly and walks in a holy manner of life. As the confession says, an upright carriage. You've met both types. Have you ever met a a Christian whom you you couldn't quite put your finger on it, but everything that they said, you you just had to listen to it. And you felt guilty for going against whatever they said. Even if they didn't quote scripture to you, You just knew there's something different about this person that carries authority. That's moral authority. Ideally, these two should meet. Ideally, the one who holds office should have an upright character, appropriate to that office. Ideally, judicial authority is backed up by moral authority. Many of you know the name Robert E. Lee. And one of the things that was said about Robert E. Lee is that you couldn't slander him. The newspapers tried to slander him and they said, we, we can't do it's not going to work. Because people know that Robert E. Lee is, is almost incorruptible in his character. He was so highly regarded for his integrity. His moral authority was so great that people listened to him. And so what Noah is guilty of here is he has shamed his office as father. He has failed to conduct himself with the moral authority that he needs to in his office. Now, we who are in positions of authority need to be rebuked by this a little bit. 
Those that are in positions of authority, whether fathers, church officers, magistrates, elder brothers, if you're in a position of superiority, it's incumbent upon us to walk in a manner that honors that position. It's incumbent upon us to carry ourselves in such a way that our office is not disgraced. That the name of the one whom we represent is not shamed by our behavior. Sadly, you see this in America too often today. You have men that are in church office and bear the name of Christ before the people and they live shameful lives. And then people look at the visible church and say, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. And at one level, they're right. At one level, they're right. This is why the prophet said to Israel, it's because of your sins that the Gentiles blaspheme the name of Jehovah. Because Israel was the nation who was given the covenant. And they didn't conduct themselves in a way appropriate to that covenant. And so it brings shame. Noah sows to his flesh and reaps corruption. Now we move to verses 22 through 23. And we see his son's harvest. There's a principle at work here that you will see played out through the scriptures and often through our lives. The sins of the father are one thing. And then the sins of the sons tend to exact, they tend to expand. They tend to go further than where their fathers went. Well, what we see here, Noah's sons and their sin against their father. But first notice, Noah's sin, his shameful drunkenness, is an opportunity for his sons to either sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. The sins of the father are an opportunity for the children to either show themselves carnal or to show themselves godly. And so Noah sins, he shamed himself, The duties of the inferior, the duties of his sons, are to bear with their infirmities and cover them in love. In reference to those who are above us, we are to bear with their infirmities and cover them over in love. It's the complete opposite of what Ham does. And that's exactly what Shem and Japheth do. They cover it in love. And so we see that the sins of the father is an opportunity for the children to show themselves. Verse 22, Ham 
the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now again, remember, this, this story is about the fifth commandment. And Ham's sin is not so much what he saw or what he did in the tent. The emphasis here is that he shamed his father. He saw his father's drunkenness. He saw his shameful acts. And then he went out and started talking about it. He gossiped about his father to his brothers. That's what Ham is guilty of. There probably is some sexual perversity here. But that's not the focus of the passage. The focus of the passage is that Ham, as a son, should have honored his father, even when he sinned. Now, we need to take this one right between the eyes. Because there are many children, there are many sons, who use the sins of the father as an excuse for their own sins. Noah really does sin. Noah screwed up. But that does not justify the sin of Ham. Ham's sins are not justified by his father's sins. How many of us have told ourselves, well, I know I should honor my father, but he did this, that, and the other to me. Now, you may be right. Your father may have sinned against you. In fact, I'm going to take a wild guess and say all of us have been sinned against by our fathers in some way. Our duty as the children of those fathers is to honor them, no matter what they do. That doesn't excuse their sins. That doesn't justify their sins. But we are not to use their sins as an excuse for our disobedience. That's what Ham does. And so Ham shames his father. He doesn't cover over his sin. He sows to the flesh. This is often how our flesh works, isn't it? When you're tempted to a sin, your flesh begins to tell you, no, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm justified because of what they did to me. I am angry and I really want to act out in this way because of what they did. This is what it means to sow to the flesh, to sow to ourselves, to do things motivated by our own interest. But what we're going to see in Sham and Japheth is that they sow to the Spirit. Verse 23. Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away. They did not see their father's nakedness. Shem and Japheth sowed to the Spirit. Their father's sin is an occasion for them to show righteousness, to show that they are loving sons who love their father. They take a cloak. They walk backwards so they can't see it and cover their father. They're sowing to the Spirit because they are fulfilling the duties of the fifth commandment. They're covering the infirmities of their inferior. Now at this point, before we go further on, it's very interesting to note what's happening in Noah's family is going to change the course of history. 
I mean, this is, this is one Friday night outside of the ark. Dad has had one too many. And Ham is snickering about it. And Shem and Japheth say, well, we've got to close the door on this. That one event governs the course of history in chapter 10. The sowing and reaping principle is not just if you do something today, tomorrow, your life will be this way. The sowing and reaping principle plays itself out over generations, over the entire course of history. Now, what does that mean for us? Why am I pointing this out? It matters how you treat your spouses. It matters how you treat your children. It matters how you treat your parents. There is more importance in restraining your temper and giving a loving word to your spouse than how you vote in the next presidential election. The way that we live inside our families, the way that Noah's three sons lived inside their home, was more important for history than anything else they did. And so Shem and Japheth sow to the Spirit. First off, notice that Shem is is listed first. He's always listed first in the names of Noah's sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Again, 23. Shem and Japheth. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But then when we get to the genealogies, Japheth is listed first in chapter 10. The reason for this is, Japheth was the oldest son, he was the firstborn. But Shem was the most honorable one. Shem is the one who's going to inherit the covenant. And because he's a faithful son, he gets the the place of honor. He's always listed first. Noah's sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Even though Shem's not the firstborn. We've seen this principle before in the book of Exodus, uh, the book of Genesis. Cain and Abel, Abel's killed, Seth is the replacement. We're going to see it later on with Abraham. Abraham's not the firstborn son, but he's the one through whom God works. We don't have time to develop it here, but all of that is indicating the true firstborn son has not yet come, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Colossians, he is the firstborn over all creation. And so after Adam, there is no firstborn son until you get to Christ. But we don't have time to develop it here. Shem and Japheth sow to the spirit, and then Noah awakes. Noah awoke from his wine, knew what his younger son had done, and then he said to him, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Noah finds out what happens, and he curses not Ham directly, but his son. He curses the son of Ham to be a servant for the rest of his days. Now, part of the reason for this curse, and the reason it's recorded for us, is Canaan is the father of, guess who? The Canaanites, 
whom Israel is going to dispossess when they take the promised land. The reason that the Canaanites are such a corrupt people is because they're under this curse of Noah. And it goes all the way back to the years right after the flood. Canaan suffers because of the sins of his father. That's a principle that's still at work. The way that our children turn out is not only their fault. We as parents bear responsibility for our children and how they turn out. Now, we have to keep in mind, the sins of the father don't justify the sins of the son. The father doesn't bear the guilt for the sins of the children. If the child murders, he bears his own guilt for that murder. But the character of our children is a result of how we sowed into their life. We are responsible for the growth of our children within the covenant. This is why those who hold church office, the first requirement is that they have a godly home. The first requirement is that they show themselves to have sown in the spirit and reaped a godly house. This is a hard pill to swallow. Especially for those of us that are parents. And especially for those of us that may have children who have wandered. We bear responsibility for our children. And what we need to take from this is self-examination. It doesn't do to look at where our children have ended up and say, well, that's their fault. God is sovereign. He has his elect. Yes, God is sovereign. He does have his elect. But we're not responsible for the decree of election. We're responsible for God's revelation of his will in the moral law. We're responsible for the fifth commandment. We're responsible for the duties of superiors. And so we have to ask ourselves, how have we failed? Where do we need to repent? And where do we need the grace of Christ to do better? This is what it means to sow in the spirit. That's why we read it in Matthew chapter 3. And that's what's going to happen with Shem and Japheth. Notice that they fulfill the fifth commandment to their father. And they inherit eternal life. They sowed to the spirit by keeping the law. And they inherit eternal life. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. This is a prophecy of eternal salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we're going to see, Shem is the line through which the Hebrews come, the sons of Eber, the Hebrews. And it's from the line of the Hebrews that Abraham comes. And it's from the line of Abraham that Moses and the children of Israel come. And it's from the tribe of Judah of the nation of Israel that David comes. 
And it's from David's house that the Messiah comes. And so the Lord, the God of Shem, dwells in the tents of Shem. That's why Japheth is said to, or that's why the the hope is that he will dwell in the tents of Shem. Because it's in the tents of Shem that salvation is found. That's where the Lord is. It's through the line of Shem and in his family that the Messiah will come. We don't have time again to develop this fully, but this prophecy finds its fulfillment in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14, John has been describing the eternal word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word to dwell among us is a word that literally means to tent, to dwell in a tent. And so when John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he, he took on a tent and tabernacled among us. He tented in our midst. Well, this is the fulfillment of the tents of Shem, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the tents of the family of Abraham, in the tabernacle. And now he literally takes on flesh and dwells among us as our God. So Shem and Japheth sow to the Spirit, and they reap eternal life. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh? Well, the first thing it does not mean is that your good works merit anything. The point of this principle is not that if you do good works, you will earn a reward from God. That's not the point. The point is illustrated by the farmer. If the farmer never sows his wheat, he cannot expect a harvest. If he sows his wheat, his harvest is still dependent on sun and rain. But if he sows it, he at least has done what it is his duty to do. If he does not sow any seed, there will not be a harvest. But if he sows it, trust in the Lord, the Lord is good, and he will give a harvest. Well, this is what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 6 that I quoted earlier. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Sowing to the flesh means living in the flesh. It means indulging your sinful desires. It means putting the needs of the body above the needs of the spirit. I'm not saying you have to fast like a monk. 
But I am saying that sometimes your Bible is more important than your food. That's what it means to live according to the Spirit. And if you live that way, you will inherit corruption. Your faith will be weak, your assurance will be non-existent, and you will lack strength in the day of temptation, if you sow to the flesh. But, as Paul says, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. To sow to the Spirit means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. To sow to the Spirit means to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and seek by the power of the Spirit to live as He did. To honor your parents. To do good to your children. To read the Scriptures. To pray. And to make diligent use of the means of grace. That's what it means to sow in the Spirit. And God promises that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of His death and resurrection, you will inherit eternal life. You will show yourself to be a true son of Abraham if you walk in the Spirit, if you persevere on the path of good works. If you, as Paul will say in Romans 8, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will inherit eternal life. Again, I'm not talking about merit. Merit has confused us when it comes to good works. I am talking about bearing the fruit that is appropriate to a Christian. I am talking about, as John the Baptist said, bearing fruits of repentance. That's what the Christian ought to bear. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And if we do that... We will reap eternal life. We will reap assurance of faith. We will reap love for God and His people. We will reap faith that can perceive the glory of our Father through the clouds of trial and temptation. We will reap eternal life. What Paul says, let us not grow weary in well-doing For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And then he says, this is all because of the cross. God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, you have been made a new creation. Live as such by sowing to the Spirit, and in due season, you will reap eternal life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Word and Spirit. We pray that you would work in our hearts that which is pleasing to you. Please give us repentance where it is needed. Give us assurance and confidence in your promises. And in all things, help us to rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ as our only salvation.
both in justification and in our sanctification. We pray in his name. Amen.